Today is not just another day. You know, we will, um, I get stuck in ruts. Have you ever been there? One of the ruts that I get stuck in, I call now a theme in my life. You guys have heard this over and over again. Maybe you're new here today and you haven't heard this before, but I talk about checking boxes. Who, who are list people? You like to have a list and you love checking the box off because I fulfilled something, I did something, right? Yesterday, I, I get almost um, uh, stubborn about it. I have to finish the task, right? Yesterday, I, we, we had to do some mowing, but our mower blades were so beat up and so bad, we had to change the blades first. And we were limited on time because the pressure of Easter was coming. So we had to hurry up and get the mower fixed so we could mow the, lo- the yard because people are coming on Easter. So we're in there. We've got the mower to- torn down, and we even looked it up on YouTube, the quickest way to do it. And so I'm talking to my son. I say, how long is it going to take? Because how long's the video? Well, this one's seven minutes, Dad, and this one's seven minutes. So I'm thinking, okay, at worst, it's a half-hour job. But I was so committed to checking the box, we were going to do it, even if it meant mowing the yard in the dark. So about three hours into it, or maybe two, we finally got the mower up and going. But it's a funny story, but what I want to encourage you in this today is, don't go to church on Easter Sunday just so you can check the box. Be stubborn about pursuing Him. But don't be about checking the box. I, on Facebook last night, I, I uh, saw a pastor friend in town post this article, and I want to read it to you. This was from Rutland, Vermont. Reasoning that it's the safe thing to do, a local family, the Wilsons, announced they will be attending the Easter service at Rutland First United Methodist Church on Sunday. Reasoning that it was a safe thing to do. Just in case God is real. This will be our fifth year in a row attending church on Easter. We've made three out of the last five Christmases, too, noted Sylvia Wilson, the matriarch of the family. So if it turns out there really is a God, I'm sure this will score us enough points to get us through the pearly gates. We really believe in going to church on Easter and most Christmases, agreed Sylvia's husband, Thomas. It's an important family tradition, birthed from a standard of risk-reward analysis. Oh, that was just an interesting article. I had to ask myself, how many points? How many points did you get today? Because you're here. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. There's no amount of points. There's no amount of works that'll get you into heaven. So what is, what is this season? We take time out once a year, and we call it Passion Week, and today being the end of Passion Week, to really focus and consider who is our God and what has He done for us. On Friday, we had a day that we called Good Friday. It is a Good Friday. 
I want to talk a little bit about Good Friday because without Good Friday, Sunday wouldn't be as fulfilling. But Good Friday was about this. Good Friday was a moment in time that something incredible happened. Think about all the moments in time that you've had that were incredible. That time that you stood at the altar and said, I do. Kind of with a glazed look, not really understanding what you were saying at the time. But you still stood there and said, I do. Think about the time that your child was born. Think about that time that you got your first paycheck when you had your first job. Think about all those moments in time. They stick with you. They stand out. You can't forget them. Then think about the moments in time we read about in Scripture. That moment where God says, in the beginning, God, what? Created the heavens and the earth. That's the beginning of time. And then there's that moment in time in the garden where Adam and Eve were, uh, were ashamed because they sinned. There, there had been no sin, and then they sinned. And then they're in the garden hiding themselves because they hear God walking around through the garden. Oh, I, I think about that moment in time that how, what kind of a relationship did they have with God where he would come and walk around the garden with them? Oh, they knew him. And then they were ashamed because of their sin. And he even cry, cried out to them, where are you? And then there's all these moments in time that we read about in the scriptures, and you can look at Hebrews 11, and it talks about all the heroes in the Bible. There was Cain and Abel. One had a good sacrifice and a good offering, and the other one had a so-so offering because he didn't know God like his brother did. Then there was Enoch, who knew God so much. Think about this. You walk out the door because you've had such an encounter with God. You got to know him so well that as you walked out the door, you just disappeared. Because he's like, hey, you know what? We're spending so much time together. You might as well just spend all your time with me. Then Enoch was not anymore because he was with God. Then, then there's others in chapter 11 of Hebrews. There's Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Abraham and Isaac. Noah, of course, we know his faith was so great that even when there was no such thing as a flood, he built a boat. Because he knew God, and God spoke to him. Abraham and Sarah, very late in life, were told they're going to have a baby. Now, who in here over the age of 50, if you were told you were going to have a baby, you would actually probably have to be checked into the hospital for other reasons? Well, here they are, they're, they're approaching 100 years of age, and they're told they're going to have a baby, not just any baby, they're going to have this baby that will be the birth of a great nation, and not just a great nation, but God's nation. That that was an awesome, incredible moment in time. And then as that promise came to Abraham and Sarah, then later on, Isaac, their son, the promised one that God had said they would give birth to, then he's told to go sacrifice that promise. And so Abraham, because he knew God, and knew God's heart, believed and trusted in him, and went to go sacrifice Isaac, and then God provided so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac after all. These are all moments in time that we read about through Scripture. Then there's, later on in the Old Testament, there's Moses leading the 
the nation, God's people, out of bondage, out of Egypt, and leading them to a promised land. And then we read about Joshua and how Joshua actually was given the opportunity to lead those same people over the Jordan into the promised land. And it goes on and on. There was other exceptionally notable, outstanding moments in time. There was Gideon and Samson and David and Samuel and then all the prophets. So what I've just explained to you was really from Genesis 1 to the New Testament. All these things went on. Incredible outstanding, extremely notable moments in time. We get into the New Testament, and then we start to understand that that there's another big moment coming, and it's the birth of little baby Jesus. My family, I'm I'm an antagonizer, and I'm trying to recover from it because the uh, despair that I leave amongst the home comes from my antagonizing. But last night... We went to, on our DVR, I noticed we had recorded, recorded the, the Yule Log at Christmas time, and it's Christmas music with, so I played Christmas music last night around our house until they screamed enough that I turned it, because it's just not time for Christmas. But that extremely notable moment in time that I'm speaking of has to do with what we celebrate at Christmas, when the angels came before the shepherds and says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. So if he's sending a Savior, then there must have been a need for a Savior. This is Christ the Lord. He sends Jesus, and then later on, as Jesus grows to be an adult, there's this point in time, this extremely notable, incredible moment in time, That Jesus goes down to where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And he he in Luke 3, chapter 20, or verse chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and picture this, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. This morning, we left our house, it was very sunny. As we drove into town, we just lived outside of town. Uh, it was very not sunny. It was foggy. And, and, and as I look outside right now, I can see glimpse of sunshine. I'd tell you to go look, but look up here. <laughs> the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on who? On Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. An extremely notable moment in time. This is what was said. An audible voice from heaven. You are my beloved son. My beloved son. My dear son. The son that I just want to hold on to. The one that I can look at. And everything you do, I just, I just shine with pride. Because you are my son. My beloved son. That's how God looked upon Jesus in that very moment. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Oh, what an awesome moment in time. It's about that time that Jesus then starts the ministry that we read about in the Gospels. Healing the sick, setting free the captive, 
teaching believers to be disciples. Day after day after day, from creation to the flood, from Egypt to the promised land, and then from the promised land to the promised one, all days were leading to a day, to an extremely notable moment in time. Those were big. Those were important times in history. We read those and we learn from those and we grow because of those moments in time. But there was one greater one still to come. What was an extremely notable moment in time that was still to come? It was at the end of his ministry that false expectations had had taken over the day. Stop and consider for a minute. Have you ever had an expectation of something or someone that came short or missed the mark in your eyes? Consider Christianity. Consider Jesus. Consider your walk with Him. Has there ever been a moment in time where you expected Jesus to do something for you and He fell short or missed your expectation? I think what we struggle with today in society is there's, there's a, the media or the world or what, however you want to deem it. The church will proclaim Jesus in a man's designed expectation. That Jesus doesn't truly love people. God's not a lover. He's a hater. I've heard that way too many times. And what I experience when I take time to really get to understand the moments in time that we read about, I begin to understand, no, he's a lover, not a hater. This whole week was about extreme love. Not just, hey, I love you. How many times do you say that? Hey, it was great talking with you. Love you. Bye. I'm not talking about that curt little love that just is in passing. I'm talking about extreme love. Extreme love. A love that would lay down their life for you, not for that other person I'm, that you're thinking about. I, I, we, we tend to personalize this too much at times, but today I really want you to personalize it. Consider how much he loves you. Oh, and it's an extreme love. But this, this moment in time as, as people's expectations False as they were, there were still expectations, started to, to really struggle with the fact that this Savior that was proclaimed by the angels really didn't look like a Savior at all anymore. In fact, this Savior seemed a little bit kind of mild. I don't know how they could see that. I mean, he was raising the dead and healing the sick, and those that were demon-possessed were being set free, but yet they still saw him as not what they wanted. They expected like Alexander the Great and all his armies to come in and save them all from the Roman captors. But no, see, Jesus wasn't concerned about the environment in which they were living in. He was concerned about them and how they were living in their environment. See, it wasn't about saving them and setting them free from the bondage of man. It was about setting them free from the bondage of sin. But their expectation was false. The Savior, yes, the Savior, he was. But not the Savior as they had expected him to be. 
So the culmination of all the time, of all the moments, of all the things that we had talked about and we had read about and we've come to understand. Many were disappointed that the proclaimed king of the Jews was waging a battle of flesh and blood, and he wasn't waging a battle with flesh and blood. It was a different battle. Yet Jesus the Christ took on himself. See, they had an expectation that wasn't fulfilled. And because they were uncomfortable that he didn't fulfill the common idea of the day, they gave in to the fact that he needed to be crucified. Now, we all know that he needed to be crucified. Because before that day and time, the way that we would get rid of sin in our lives, we would go and do almost like a confessional. We would go before with our sacrifice And we would confess our sin, lay our sacrifice on the altar, and as it was consumed, we would be our our sins would be free of us, and we'd be free of them. But we kept doing that over and over and over and over and what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And and they kept doing it over and over and over again. And over again, and, and God, in, in, in his extreme love for us, said it's time. So that's when he sent his son. That's when his son walked on this earth. That's when his son did so many miracles. And that's when his son was beaten beyond recognition. The same son that he said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. But because I cannot stand any longer the cost of sin on the flesh of my creation, I'm now going to offer you up and show my wrath against sin on your body. Because I no longer want to see the the sin ravaged on those that I have created. So Jesus then is led before his now captors. And beaten beyond recognition. And I don't want to be overdramatic because you can't be overdramatic with this. His, he bore the battle scars of the war that was truly being waged. Not the false expectation battle, but the real battle. He wore those battle scars, he wore those wounds. He was carried to the cross and would bear the weight of the very own sin that day. Our very, your very own sin that day. The sin of the world. He laid upon that cross like a common robber. And then he was almost as if on display, lifted up for all of us to be able to see, even in this day, what the cost of sin is. Because we should never forget the cost of sin. But we should always let the weight of sin no longer to us. John 19:28 says, "After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst." A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, 
his last spoken words. It was actually in the Greek, it was one word. It was teleo. His last spoken word was, it is finished. What was finished? See, the problem today and the problem even then was they weren't sure what the it was. We don't know what the it is all the time. What, what happened then, even those that were closest to him didn't quite understand the it. And when he said it is finished, they were lacking the understanding to a certain degree. And how do I know that? Because it was later on after he breathed his last and said, it is finished. The the expectation was that the three years of his ministry was over. We had spent, I think about the disciples and those that had followed so closely with him. He had told them over and over again that, yes, he was going to die, but then be lifted up. And, yeah, he would speak in parables, and maybe that's why they didn't quite get it. But, But they... They just didn't quite get it because their expectation was still within the bounds of history and what they knew. He was speaking of of the unknown. That's what holds us back in society today when it comes to living a life for Christ or living a life for man. Living a life for man is easier to know. Because we see it every day, we understand it, we have history, we have experiences. Living a life with, of, with Christ is a little unknown. The only way we would know is if we actually read Scripture. Or started living the life and experienced things. I can look back in my own life and say, wow, God ordained that moment and that moment and that moment. And the sum of those moments equaled this, and this is awesome. Thank you, God. I wish I had known all this when, before this happened. There, experience is an important thing. When I, I used to work for a company, we sold food. Frozen food, door-to-door, and ice cream. Good ice cream. One of the things we sold was five-cheese garlic French bread. Sounds good, right? So... I had a truck, though, that was limited on space, and the boxes were about this big of five-cheese garlic French bread. That took up space on the truck, and it was only like 8 to $10 a box. I don't remember the price, but it was about that price range. And if I put a whole bunch of those on my truck, it would take up the space of other items. Now, I was commissioned sales, so I was thinking I want expensive items on the truck, not this five-cheese garlic French bread. And when you lift it up, it's like there's nothing in there. It's just no weight. So there's no value in it. So I don't want any of it on my truck. My experience with it was a little bit off because I didn't really get to know it. I, all I knew was it was a lightweight box, too big, and price point didn't seem quite right for me or for the customer. So I was thinking, no, I don't want that on my truck. And that night, after being out there all day long, we come in. It was a long day. I was in the office, and I'm hearing all these different salesmen saying, hey, put 10 of those on my truck, put 12 of those on my truck. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Why would you want that on your truck? I want some steaks on my truck. I want some high price point items. They said, but Doug, have you tried it? Oh, no, I hadn't. Well, right then, our boss got it out, and we all had five cheese garlic French bread about 11 o'clock at night, which really was good when I got home to kiss my wife. 
But once I truly got to know it, I came back and it was put a case of those on my truck, put two cases. Because I can sell maybe nothing else but that now because it was so good. But you know what the problem is? Sometimes with us and Christ, we know so much about life as man has designed it that we don't know how to even sell Christ because we haven't taken time out to truly get to know him and all that he has for us. Because when you truly let him touch every part of your life, guess what happens? You can't help but to tell others. You can't help to demonstrate it every day in all that you do. So as he's on that cross and he breathes his laugh and he says to Leo, it is finished. What ended at that moment in time was not his life, not his ministry, but was sin and all that it has to do with holding us back, distracting us, preventing us from being all that God intended us to be in this life. That's what was finished then, was the sin that so easily besets us. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those witnesses that I talked about before, I see them almost like sitting up in the stands watching you right now. It says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. Let us run, out, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's why you can't go to church on a Sunday and just check the box. Because when you leave church on Sunday, you have a race to run. So, so why do we go to church? Well, it's to remind ourselves that if I'm coming in with anything that's holding me back, weighting me down, keeping me from running the race, guess what? I don't have to hang on to that any longer because it was paid for on that cross. I can let it go. It is finished. It is finished. And then... What he finished on Friday, the wages of that was finished on Sunday. See, the wages of sin is death. As we read in Scripture, when you sin, sin leads you to death. But when he came back to life and rose from the dead on Sunday, death lost its sting. The weight of sin, carrying with it death, was broken. This is the most important time in a believer's life. If you truly get to understand why should we get all excited and go tell everybody that Jesus Christ was king? Because of now. Because he broke the chains of sin. He's made it possible for us to live a kingdom life. What's that? It's a life that when I'm out living it, not attending church in it, but living this life, I can pray for people, speak to people, be myself in Him. Oh, that's a beautiful picture. That's an awesome race. Yes, it comes with endurance, but He'll give you the strength to run it. Now, that's just Friday. Sunday's coming. Here's where the false expectation was. Matthew 28, 1 says this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. They knew Jesus. And as closely as they knew Jesus, they still missed something. They knew there was power. They'd seen it demonstrated. They knew that chains could be broken because they'd seen it demonstrated. But they didn't quite understand that death no longer had sting. Death no longer had relevance. In Mark which goes along in the gospel and tells it, and the way Mark explains it is this. When, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought, bought spices so that they may, might go and anoint him. Why would they buy spices and want to go anoint Jesus? Because the longer he lay there, the stinkier he gets. So the, the idea was is this dead body stinketh. We're going to... Go anointeth it, it. There was a thought that he would still be there. They had seen Jesus do amazing things, and by default, God, through his son Jesus, do amazing things. They had experienced, been with him. But there were still parts of their life or parts of their belief that they still did not understand or lacked belief, or lacked trust. What parts of your life do you believe in God, but other parts of your life God has no part of because you don't believe? I can understand maybe, I don't know, maybe they understood that, yeah, I get it, he can forgive sin and sin is forgiven, but death, that's a whole different story. Well, what about Lazarus? Yeah, yeah, but that was one time, and, you know, the doctors are saying maybe he wasn't really dead, and then we allow doubt to creep in. They had some false expectations. But imagine how they felt as they're carrying their spices and their oils, and they're going to go and minister to their Savior And they get there, and the stone is rolled away, and he's not there. All of a sudden, the spices and the oil, I'm sure, are forgotten about. And their thoughts race to that one time when he said, and then that other time that he said, and then what, what, maybe, did they take him? Did he, is he really, oh, he's gone. And the heartbreak crept in because he was gone. But then, as he is with us, he was faithful to return and remind them, I'm still here. I'm just fulfilling what I've said I would fulfill over and over and over and over again. Maybe there's things and promises that have been in you that you knew were God, but then doubt crept in, hurt crept in, sorrow crept in. Distractions begin to happen, and we gave up on it. 
today I want to tell you that it is finished and he is risen. Those two phrases, do not forget them because when he said it is finished, all that sin that distracts us and holds us back and keeps us from being able to run the race with endurance, we no longer need to give in to it because it is finished. And then everything that he's promised to do through you and with you in this life is risen within you, even as he is risen. It says in Psalms 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In who? He who is risen. He where there is life. And not just any old life, but life more abundant. Not necessarily life with great masses of fortune. But life more abundant that in the midst of the environment, I am changed and I find peace and joy and satisfaction regardless of what is going on around me. Hosea 6.3 says, he, he says, let us know. Let me look at that. That's a, I love how Hosea says it. It says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain that waters the earth. Let us know him. Let us press in and know him. Because checking the box on an Easter Sunday so you can get enough points to maybe get to heaven if God is real, is a reality for way too many folks. That is their reality. And it is their reality because those that just barely tasted and didn't truly press on to get to know are unable to go out and and demonstrate how awesome it is to live a life Labeled with, it is finished, and he is risen. That's what today is about. Could the worship team come? Today is about a day to stop and think, is my life a demonstration of sin being finished? Let me read Hebrews 12 to you again. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Again, therefore... Since we are surrounded, what are we surrounded by? According to this, a great cloud of witnesses. Those that have done it, those that have ran the race, finished their course, there are, they are our witnesses. They are rooting for us today. Now, here's the challenge. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. What's that sin that clings so closely to you, sometimes the closest, closer the sin, the more secret it becomes. What are the secret sins? Because it's the secret sins that come with the greatest shame. So what are the close sins that are clinging to you? The ones that you've become so familiar with, And know them so well that you can't even picture your destiny because you can't picture yourself without those sins. It says, let us lay those aside. Every weight and sin 
which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter. We can't perfect ourselves, but when we get to know Him and press on to know Him more, the more perfect we can become through Him, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. That shame that is attached to us because of the sin that we have had in our lives. See, the world would say that the sin that clings so closely to you is who you are. But the sin that you've encountered in life is not who you are. It just clings to you. He wants you to just lay it aside. And and then rise up again. To run the race that he has purposed for you. You are not your sin as a believer. You are now adopted as his child. His child. And for you to be his child means you cannot have any sin. And he desired you to be his child so much that he beat his son nearly beyond recognition. His son bore the sorrow, the shame, and the wounds of sin for us. It is finished. Now looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right throne of God. Because when he was risen and life came to him again, there was still another incredible, awesome moment in time that was to come. And this time was the time when he would go to be with his beloved father as he was his beloved son. You are his beloved children, and he is your beloved father. And he desires you to truly understand That it is finished. And he is risen. And yes, one day, you'll be face to face with your father. Oh, taste and see. How sweet. How awesome. How great it is. Will you lay aside that sin that holds you back? That distracts you. Will you rise again in Him? Will you leave this place hopping and skipping, not as an Easter bunny rabbit, but as somebody that truly is in love with an extremely loving Father? I mean, you can get excited about that. Would you stand? He is a good Father. He loves you. He wants you to be free of sin. He wants you to be risen in Him. Proclaim the gospel. It's after this. It's after this that all this has occurred. He'll come to them. He'll come to the disciples later. And He'll come to you. And He'll then say, go. But wait on Him. Get to know Him. Get to reflect on what you've learned about Him. And then with that reflection and that learning, you'll go. And you'll go with enthusiasm, conviction, and excitement to share how awesome of a God we have. Real quick, I'm going to close. 
but I'm not going to close with, and let you off the hook. I want you to understand that if you have not buried the hatchet, hatchet gone deep with him, under, if there's things that are holding you back, why? You can let it all go away. Disappear. Fade away as if it had never happened. Just as if I had never sinned. Justification. You can be justified in him. I've heard people say, we as a church, let's get out and do some programs. Let's get out in the community and and reach the community. Yes, we will do that. But I, I said, God, I don't feel like it's time yet. Why is it not time that we as a church rise up and we go minister to the community as a collective force? And and it's here's what I've got so far. So hear me clearly. It's not time because until you can do it by yourself, what's the word I'm thinking of? Contagiously. If you're living a separate life outside of here than you do in here, then then you're not ready. It's when your life is one that Hey, I am so excited. I can't tell you why I'm so excited. I just know I went to church on Sunday. It was awesome, and I'm excited. Well, why are you excited? I don't know why. Come with me. When that becomes your norm, then then we'll start to be ready. But if the church has to manufacture a program to be evangelistic, then we're missing the point. The point isn't about manufacturing events It's about falling in love, having our own personal moments. Extremely notable, outstanding moment. Where it rocks us, changes us, because we pressed on and got to know him personally. We're going to sing a song, and during this time, we like altar calls. Why? Because when I take the obedient step forward to commit, he meets us there. Because we don't have to say, come, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. He's here. Step into that. Step into that promise. God, I got sin in my life. I need to let go of the sin. Or I've just not been chasing you, Lord. I haven't been pressing on. Well, then commit to do that. Press on. Come forward. If you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, now's the time. Because tomorrow's coming. And guess what? It'll be 365 more days again before you can get more points on Easter. So come, let us pray with you. Let us agree with you. And let us celebrate with you this morning. Come. In that phrase, it is finished. The it is the sin, but the is is a state of being verb that brings us to the present. Sin was finished then. Sin is finished now. I just feel like there's those that, yes, you've had an it is finished moment. And that same moment is the one you're trying to live off in these moments. See, it is finished is something that happens each and every day. He is risen is something that can happen and should happen every day. 
It says daily take up your cross. Daily it is finished. New experiences. New oil of joy for mourning. New provision. A new walk in Him. A new level of worship. A new level of demonstration. New, new, new. That's what Easter's about. It's new again. This is spring season where things start to grow with lots of energy and fervor. That's what's new for you today. It is finished. He has risen, is present as much as it was past, and it should be daily. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your promises, your purposes and design for all of us. I thank you for the sacrifice. The ability now was given to us to be able to run with great endurance. Because of the sacrifice, the sin no, no longer weighs us down, holds us back. But Lord, I pray that in this race we run it as if He is risen within us daily. Lord, for those that in their heart they know they've been living in the past and not in the present for You. That box got checked some time ago and it, it's fading now. It's time to Renew that because He has new things for you today in this moment. <laughs> Get His heart. Today there's a new day for you. Lay your hands on your heart, would you, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Dear God, as we lay hands even upon ourselves, Lord, I pray that you will minister to us all day today in the joyous moments with family, the patriarch of it all will still be oh so present. In those fun times with our children, we'll see the joy that only could come from kingdom living. And God, I, I pray even in those quiet times when we're alone tonight, you'll talk to us. You'll speak to our hearts. And yes, Lord, even move us emotionally to be drawn to you. No more of the old. It's all new. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter. God bless you. It is finished. He is risen. Have a great day. I look forward to seeing you all again. God bless you.